Joe Girardi coming up at 5. You just heard from A-Rod, who uh, has his uh, multitude of shows, and he'll be in the studio with uh, Kevin Burkhardt, who is a uh, FAN alum, as is uh, my next guest, uh, Howie Rose, who joins us now from, uh, from down the hall. Howie, welcome. How are you? Great. Great to be with you. What's going on? Well... Nothing that you haven't been talking about for the last four and a half months. Well, you, you get, first about you personally, you get, yeah. did you give up the hockey this year? Is that what you did? did well, did I gave you it up hockey? last year. You no. gave it up last year, so yeah. you didn't do hockey for the first time. How was that right. to have a year with, you know, what did you do, go to Florida in the I winter? spent the winter in Florida, How about that? and okay. last winter your was the best. Your kids are grown now, they're out of the house? 28 and 24, yeah. Okay. Last summer. I uh, met your daughter. She was doing something at FA. At, at FA yes. She was doing some radio. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah? Yeah. So uh, they're out of the house. you got empty nests now, so you went and spent the winter in Florida. Last winter was the best summer I ever had. That's good. It was I, fantastic. Absolutely. So you had a good time? Absolutely. Did you enjoy it? Played golf three days a week at least. How's your golf game? It's awful, but it's, it's, <laughs> it's trending better. Do you My, have a handicap? Uh, it's about 150. <laughs> My goal is to stink. If somebody sees me on a golf course and says, I watched Howie play, he stinks. Do you like going then out I've there? Then I've improved. Do you like going Love out it. there? Love it. Love it. Like, you know what? That's it. I, I, I know you took it up a while ago, yes, right? Yes, The challenge I have now in trying to play something resembling golf is the most passionate interest that I've had since I tried to get into broadcasting it's as a kid. It's, and, and, and my it, wife it, can't figure it out. It's so hard to get good at. It's the hardest thing. To get, and if you have, and the golf swing is hard. And if you have, you know, any anything like me with a bad knee, I have to play around all those things. But it, it's so captivating. Yep. If you have a good round or a good shot, it just gets you back all the time. Absolutely. And it, it, it's, it becomes a craze. It really does. I mean, it's, it's amazing. People get so wrapped up in it. it it's, it's an amazing thing. And it's a great way to go out and spend a couple hours, you know, especially in Florida. So, so did you miss the hockey at all? You what? know when I missed it, Mike? When I was watching a game and it was a good game and I said, man, I wish I was in the booth. But I didn't miss the preparation. I didn't miss the travel one bit. I didn't miss the obligation. And you can forget about it pretty easy when it's 80 degrees How on many a day years like had this you done hockey? December. How many years have you done hockey? In well, 30 done years it? altogether wow. between the Rangers and the Islanders. And how many years have you now done consecutive baseball play-by-play? Uh, strictly play-by-play. Yeah. Um, exclusively play-by-play since 96. 96. And I started doing some fill-in work on radio in 94. What was the last year? Howie, if, if you folks don't know the history, Howie used to follow Mike and the Mad Dog at, at night when he wasn't you know, doing play-by-play. Uh, had a show had the show from uh, 7 to midnight. Mm-hmm. What was your last year that you did uh, 95. The, the fan? Right around this time when I signed to do the Islanders was uh, the last series of shows I did on FAN. Have you done any sports talk since then at all? Anywhere? You know what? The only, the only ones, Mike, were when the NHL was in one of their semi-annual lockouts. Um, I remember doing some shows on FAN when I was still there, but it's been a while. And I, I miss that. You know, I, miss, yeah. I miss doing talk shows. I don't miss just taking blind phone calls for three hours at a time. For an hour or so, it was fun. But I loved having themes. And the ability to interview guests who pertain to that theme and then take some calls that, you know, circled around that. And um, that was the best part of talk to me. Uh, Howie knows the Mets. I don't know. I think there's anybody who knows the Mets better than Howie. Howie has lived it forever. He's been a not only a diehard fan, but he's been around his team for, forever. Um, this is one of those years that's just been tough. I mean, just, you know, some years are... You can, they're explainable, but they're also easy. This, I would think this has been a tough one. How would you categorize this season? It was tough because the expectations were so high. 
it got away from them so early with the plethora of injuries, particularly to the pitchers. And I know you and I were talking about this before we actually came on the air, but to me the most underreported or underemphasized loss of all of those that they've had this year has been Familia. No question. Because you use your closer or lose your closer. Now you've got to back the rest of the bullpen up. Salas did not give them anything close to what he did late last year, so that was another one that got away. But when you use your closer and everybody else has to see their roles tweaked or changed a little bit, it's significant, and they weren't up to it. Oh, and, and now having a bullpen is, I don't care how good your starting pitching is. And the Mets, you know, it's funny, the Mets became a grand experiment as to whether they could ever put this incredible firepower on the mound in one Mm -hmm. rotation. Uh, Someone asked me this the other day, I don't know if they've, I don't think they've ever had all of them in the rotation at the same time. Have they They've never taken one turn Never taken a turn, yes. Five of them. And they may never do it, as a matter of fact. So you never know if they'll even be able to do it. So you wonder if that grand experiment of considering how everybody's power pitches are getting hurt with the frequency that they are, it might not be the way you want to construct a staff You know anymore. what? When, when we grew up, the quickest way to contention as you rebuild was through young pitching, No right? question. No now, question. you look at the template that the Cubs established, yep. and maybe they had the right idea. Young, versatile players. Versatile yep. players who could hit and yep. fill in with the pitching as you go along. Absolutely, because you, you know this, when the Mets made the great turn from being the lovable clowns to a real team, it's when Seaver and Kuzman showed right. up. Absolutely. And Seaver demanded that they be real, and then Kuzman followed him, and mm-hmm. then a guy named Ryan who hung around a little bit. And, Ryan you know, and, and John Matlack and, and Gentry, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden this incredible pitching that they had as they were always known for as they did. And, Different you know, game then, though. Right, and you realize the team that they had when they had the great 86 Met teams or the great 80s teams, all those guys you know, with one exception, they were all traded for. I mean, they didn't even, they weren't even grown, but they had a great rotation there, too. That was Absolutely. a wonderful, but some craftsmen in that group, too. These were, these were going to be power guys here, you know, with Harvey and even Mats. I mean, these were going to be all power guys. Yeah, and those are the guys that get drafted now. Those are the guys that the scouts drool over. It's, it's not a matter of how hard they throw, but how hard relative to each other. They all throw hard. You know, it'd be very difficult for what we used to call junk baller to open a scout's eyes these days. You can't get, you you can't can't. get noticed. You nope. know, even if you were good enough to get somebody out, you, you can't get noticed anymore. Uh-huh. I know a kid that, that the same. you know, he was very successful, and he said to me, can you find out what my grade is? I won't say who the kid was, but he was very successful in college, a major college, scholarship player. They were like, ah, we've got 100 guys throw like that. You know, 91, not enough spin on his curveball. Got a hundred guys coming out of eighteen-year-olds coming from everywhere. Throw ninety-eight miles an hour, and it's true. We have these guys. You see these arms coming out of the bullpen every night. There's a guy coming out of somebody's bullpen you never heard of who's throwing hundred miles an hour. Every team's got them. Yep. Every time somebody's coming out in the sixth, seventh, eighth inning, they're throwing gas. It's it, it really has changed. Can you be optimistic? Can you see a vision that makes next year a contending year, or do you think it's going to be harder than that? Well, I can. It's a little blurred right now because there's uncertainty, not only about the health of the pitchers, but what the roster is going to look like. But I don't think this is a teardown. I think I it's, don't a, either. it's a reset. I don't either. And I think that they've saved a significant amount of money and will between the contracts that they unloaded recently and others that will come off the books if they don't make moves between now and the end of the year. And the key is, you know, will they reinvest that in, say, one big area? Like, would they go big for a Moustakis, or will they spread that out around a, a number of players who could fill a number of ne- a number of needs? How about doing the play-by-play now as you go through this kind of year? 
there's no excitement and empty ballparks and no excitement in August and September. Does that make this a very long year now? Mike, you know, no? you know what the beauty of this job is? And I know it's, it's cliche. Bob Murphy used to say it all the time. You never know what you're going to see when you go to a major league ball game. When I was driving here on the night of June 1st, 2012, and the Mets were not a contending team yet at that point, I had no idea Johan Santana was going to pitch a no-hitter that night. And that's the beauty of this game. And it was that way doing some bad hockey teams over the years, too. People say, oh, my goodness, how do you get through the season? You might think that. And we might feel it until the light goes on. And they throw the first pitch or they drop the puck. And everything changes then because you're in this vacuum, which is what you're trained to do, which is what you love to do. And you really can marvel at individual achievements and accomplishments and sometimes watch a team begin to coalesce. Now, this year it'll be a little different here because we don't know about the roster next year. But there are a couple of kids we're going to watch every night here in Rosario and Smith that can get you excited Absolutely. if they play well. That, for me, is reason enough to watch and listen to it. And you game. got a good young one in Conforto who's a heck of a oh, hitter. Oh, I love the kid. And he's a good hitter. Yep, I mean, is. you can just see he's a legitimate good hitter. You know, he just you, you, don't, you don't have to question whether he's going to be a solid. You can just see he's going to be a solid player. Just I mean, keep enough yeah. bats around him to protect him. That's, and, uh, without question. And, you know, as you said, with Smith, Rosario, and, you know, they need to go out. And, and then the David Wright thing is just, you know, you want to be – you want to be respectful, but that's a very hard thing for the organization to even think about at this point. Well, you know, there seems to be a little bit of inevitability in, in it, and I, in a perfect world, sure would love to be wrong, but he's got a condition, and Sandy Alderson used the word yesterday that he's got to manage, not just for whatever career he might have left, but for the rest of his life. Absolutely. He's got a one-year-old daughter. I'm sure he's probably thinking about having more kids as he gets older. He's going to want to hold those babies. He's going to want to be able to play with them. And it, it just seems that the direction this is moving in leads me to believe it may be one of those Prince Fielder situations where ultimately a doctor steps forward and says, you know, you're jeopardizing your long-term health if you continue to play. I hope that's not the case. I would love nothing more than to see David Wright come back, but uh, realistically, the Mets have to plan for life without him. Uh, without, without, without any question. We're talking about Howie Rose as the... Uh, do you still like the Subway? Do you like the Subway Series? Mike, can I tell you something about this one in particular? I have enjoyed it more than there was any reason for me to expect that I would this year. And I, I was in a moment of introspection driving home from Yankee Stadium two nights ago. And I'm saying to myself, why does this seem so much more enjoyable than I thought? And then I got home and I turned on the news and I just saw, again, the images of what we saw in Charlottesville Ugh. last weekend. Ugh. And to hear the hatred and the rancor and to see what's dividing this country is something that you don't have to be a Holocaust survivor or the, the child of one or have friends of, of those who survived it. But to hear what was being chanted and to see how that's taken over as in as vitriolic a fashion as it is, it, it, it dawned on me at that time that to hear uh, Mets fans yelling at Yankees fans and Yankees fans yelling at Mets fans, it was a symphony to me. And to see these two teams on the field at the same time, right now, especially right now, that's a Norman Rockwell picture. Because it, it, what's it, happening in this country now has shaken me to the core. And baseball has never been so welcome an escape as it is now. You know, you just hope that, uh, and we're all confronted with it now every day because, you know, it's all we see. Uh, and just the way the 
whole world of uh, politics and society are covered, you know, with the way cable news works now. Um, and you, you understand that they're in a business too, which we, which we all understand. Uh, but you are confronted with it and inundated it on a daily basis, and you just hope that it is accentuated to a level that you know it isn't as big as we all think it is. It's not happening as every day as much as we think it is as it confronts us. You know what I mean? Like, Absolutely. Because, you know, you know, we, we forget that. I, I think you got to just hope to step back and, th- and realize that, hey, we've always had a bunch of wackos in this country. You just have to keep them marginalized and understand that the rest of us who are, you know, sane and right-thinking people can still control things and, and, and keep them you know w- you know uh, at a at a at a distance and separated from each other and mike know? it's it's a daily struggle because it's not just domestically look what happened in barcelona no, today, today. Yeah, you can't yeah, you absolutely. cannot escape it so you know when you ask me about the subway series and what do i think of it to me this is poetry this is beautiful this is woodstock i do it 162 and games I, a and year. i love it i tell you something i i've gone every year i mean i i you know now you bring your kids to it but I've I've always been the biggest, uh, and a lot of people have been complaining. Ah, too many games. I liked it when it was six. I didn't even want to cut it back to four, but to me, it still has its charm. And I love sitting at these games. And as you said, listen to the fans go back and forth, especially when it's a close game, or tonight if the Mets can get a chance to even have a moment in this series or whatever it is. But the bottom line that you can still fill the ballpark four days and have at each other for four days. To me, this is the. And I'm not an interleague fan. I don't like. Right. The league. I wish it was the only interleague they played all year, but I love it. I think it's the best invention in the time I've been watching baseball. I think these games, and I went to the Mayor's Trophy game a couple of times. You probably did too. They were exhibitions. You know, and they, they were, were exhibitions. That's it. You know, the players that come out, take one at bat and leave if they showed up at all. You know, the big players didn't even show up sometimes. But this has an intensity to it, and I tell you, I love it. I, I, I've always been the biggest fan of it, and I think the idea that it can still fill the ballpark every night, and it, it will tonight. The Mets... This is probably the last time they'll fill this ballpark this year, but it'll be full tonight, and they'll be it'll be a meaningful game tonight, and their fans will be on the edge of their chairs tonight, and that's what's great about this thing. You know, right? I was talking to Paul O'Neill the other night at Yankee Stadium because everybody has their favorite Subway Series memory. Yep. Mine was not so much for what happened on the field as what happened on the top step of the dugout, 98, 99, something like that. O'Neill, in a key spot in the game, was allowed to hit against Mel Rojas. Remember Bobby Valentine went to the righty Mel Rojas? And Bobby was criticized like crazy for it. O'Neal was telling me he understood Bobby going to Rojas then because Rojas owned O'Neal when they were both in the National League, when Paul was with Cincinnati and Rojas was with the Expos. But anyway, so O'Neal hits three-run homer. That's the key at bat in the game. Everybody wanted to know from Bobby afterwards, why did you not use a lefty to face to O'Neal? Where was Pulsifer? So the next day, in another similarly important part of the game, O'Neill comes up, men on base, Bobby goes to Pulsifer. Pulsifer gives up a hit, and no sooner did that ball go into the outfield than Bobby V stands up on the top step of the dugout, turns around to the press box with his hands on his hips. It was the funniest thing I ever saw in my life. So wins, losses, I don't care. That moment with Bobby Valentine standing on the top step, was the greatest piece of Subway Series history to me. I tell you, unbelievable. And I was thinking about that first game. The other night they had Dave Malecki on. The, they were talking to him during the I game. I saw they had him on the phone. Yeah, and I'm thinking about that night, and I can remember how stunned everybody was for that game. Like, who the, are we kidding here with this guy? And I remember, you know, mm-hmm. that, that and that. And how about 
Matt Franco with that base hit that time. Well, that was, that, 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 that was in the same game. Yep. I, was, I was doing TV then, and that was a nationally televised game. Yep. So I was sitting downstairs with my wife and daughters, who were real young at the time. And remember that for the Subway Series games back then at Shea Stadium, there was a tent where they did some promotional stuff. blue and stuff. white stripe stuff. Yeah, right. Yeah. And it was beyond the left field bullpen. Yep. In that game. Mike Piazza hit a home run off of Ramiro Mendoza. I remember. That went beyond the tent. I was in the booth. I watched it. What a shot. Mike, it made a sound, even including Judge's homer last night. That Piazza ball made a sound like I'd never heard a bat make contact with a baseball before. How much did he kill the Yankees in those games? Oh, he loved it. He loved it in the drama with Clemens. The eight-nothing game at Yankee Stadium where he hit Clemens. I mean, Piazza must have hit. It seemed like he hit 800 in those Subway Series games. He killed the Yankees. He loved it. The only guy he uh, he seemed to enjoy hitting against more than any of those Yankees was Trevor Hoffman. Yeah. (laughs) Because he owned Hoffman, too. He did. He hit so many. You think about how many big home runs he hit. I mean, you called a lot of them. Yeah. That guy had a pension for hitting big home runs. Well, obviously I mean, he, the one on September 21st, which, you know, un- which is just, Which I was in the booth for that one, too, Howie. I remember standing in it, and the place was packed that night, as you know. We were in the game, in there all day that day. Still very emotional. But think about how many times that guy hit a big home He oh, had a pension for hitting big home He runs. hit one against Hoffman. We were in San Diego, and I don't know why. I think I was supposed to help Ralph Kiner on Kiner's corner afterwards, and I don't remember if the Padres tied the game of the ninth and then it went to the tenth. But anyway, I had to go downstairs and wait for Kiner's corner. So I'm standing in the far corner of the Mets' dugout, and Piazza takes Hoffman out the other way. Right. Well, Mike gets back into the dugout, and you know those games at the amusement park, whack-a-moles or whatever you call them? Todd Pratt. Mike Piazza was, what, 6'3", 6'4"? By the time Pratt was finished pounding him on top of the helmet, Mike was about 5'8". At least for the next few hours. He absolutely drove him into the ground in exuberance. Unbelievable how many. I mean, you think about how many big hits he had. He was a remarkable hitter. Really, to watch him as much as we did, he was just an incredible. People don't realize yeah. how great a hitter he was. He was just a, an amazing hitter. And you, and you called a lot of those home runs, and he hit so many big ones. Remarkable, really. Exciting player. He really was. Uh, as you said, the Cosse one and everything in between. Good to talk to you, Howie. As Mike, always, always a pleasure. Thank Good you. luck. Keep it up. 30 Good luck. years. Thank huh? you. Where'd yes. they go? <laughs> Thanks very much. At least Back, we started when we were we six. We did, yeah, a long time ago, Howie. But I'm glad we'll get you out on the golf course. I want to see that swing. You'll have some laughs. All right.